It's December 26, 2018, the day after Christmas, and we want to welcome you to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. First, uh, we'll hear from Ruby Menon and BJ Fogg about the upcoming Behavior Design Lab office hours in January. Then we'll hear from uh, Jennifer Winter, who's here in the studio, and we'll talk about the evolving field of broadband, 5G, and everything else with the upcoming Pacific Telecommunications Council conference. We'll get to talk about uh, some of the new trends happening in communications. First off, I wanted to uh, let you know that the Purple Prize is coming up, the deadline for any entries in the uh, what they call the connection phase is January 4th, which is uh, not too far away. And if you've got an idea, if you are interested in making a global impact with your idea, well, this is the time to uh, sign up for Purple Prize and uh, maybe get the, go through the, the workshops that they have. And, and uh, you can ultimately sort of um, get mentored toward uh, actually starting up your own startup. So you want to check that out. You go to purpleprize.com. The deadline to sign up is uh, January 4th, and you can help uh, make a difference, make an impact on, uh, on Hawaii and perhaps the world. Now, I want to welcome uh, Ruby Menon. She's from Jam Bios and BJ Fogg, who's uh, here uh, in, in Maui, actually, calling in. And uh, he's from Stanford, the Behavior Design Lab. And uh, he's got some upcoming office hours. I want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe. Hello, hey, thanks for having me. Great. Now, I want to first start off with... Um, uh, both you and Ruby, BJ, I mean, we've, I've had you on before, but uh, just for our listening audience, Ruby, I mean, give us a little bit of background on, you're here in the studio, I know BJ's from Stanford, but he's on Maui, kind of on, on uh, winter break. Uh, what's your connection with, with BJ? Well, I uh, started studying about behavior design in my role as a product manager, mm-hmm. because I feel like it's very important to have a better understanding of your customer's behavior. And in that uh, process of uh, research, I uh, came across BJ's work. And um, fast forward to, I think it was around June, I decided to enroll in his Tiny Habits certification course and became a Tiny Habits certified coach. And then when I found out that BJ actually lives in Maui, uh, about I think almost six months out of the year, I thought, well, we've got to do something about this. We have to introduce him to the Hawaii tech and innovation community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so here we are. Fast forward to today. Um, BJ will have an opportunity to, uh, on your show to talk about his free office hours that he'll be offering exclusively for the Hawaii tech community. Now, BJ, uh, you know, Ruby mentioned Tiny Habits, and, and uh, I, I think we, we talked about that before. And Tiny Habits is more yeah. for the uh, sort of the individual who's interested in, in perhaps uh, introducing some change in, in some behavior. But you actually have a whole, you know, design, well, actually it's a behavior design lab to focus on perhaps companies that are interested in, in yeah. influencing uh, sort of the change in behavior. Yeah, and that's what we're talking about today. Uh, one thing I do outside of Stanford is I teach innovators how behavior works. And these are people creating new products or new services. It might be a startup. Or it might be you're within a larger organization like Kaiser Permanente or um, some financial institution. You're creating a new product or service. And it's those people that I love to teach and I love to help uh, in terms of making their products more effective. Now, uh, in terms of um, putting on these sort of workshops, uh, is there is there 
something that you want to try to accomplish, let's say, in, in the one hour of office hours, and then there's yeah. more of a lengthy sort of workshop that comes <laughs> afterwards? Yeah, you know, I, I, I run a training that I call boot camp, but that's not what we're talking about mm-hmm. today. And I don't think we'll be doing a boot camp uh, here in the islands, at least not this year. But what Ruby and I thought would be fun to do is what I call office hours. They happen online. You log in through Zoom. It's free. And basically do what I do every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. is People sign up to get my advice for 15 minutes, and I help them as much as I can. And then I go to the next person who signed up. And there's no hidden motives here. It's really about helping people uh, understand behavior, helping people be more effective in their innovations. And on my side, it makes me helps me feel good that I'm actually creating a difference in the world. And, you know, the, the surprise is within 15 minutes, people can get big breakthroughs on what they're doing. In fact, last week I was talking to somebody and at the end of 15 minutes, he's like, oh my gosh, I just got three months of value in 15 minutes. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And then I go on. There's no upsell. There's no cross-sell. There's mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. hidden motive here. Something I've done for years. And Ruby and I decided, let's do a special Hawaii version of this. And that's what we're doing. So tell me, uh, maybe Ruby, you can maybe share an example of how Perhaps uh, this behavior design might have influenced how you um, build features in JamBios or how perhaps the, the product has evolved. Well, one of the things that I use as sort of my, my uh, model and my template is BJ's uh, behavior model. It's called the FOG behavior mm-hmm. model. And um, He'll probably, I'm sure he'll talk about it during office hours, but I have found that invaluable every time I'm looking at a feature to determine um, whether it hits the uh, motivation, the ability, and the triggers um, that are necessary for a change in behavior to happen or to move or nudge somebody towards the behavior you want them to do. So his behavior model for me has been like my mantra, and I've, you know, I use it. I've taught it to my team. I've taught it to our CEO, and, uh, you know, we try to, to use that as our, our, our compass mm-hmm, when we're mm-hmm. designing features. And have you, have you uh, BJ, have you done office hours in Hawaii before, or this is the first time? No. Actually, well, I've been here doing them, but people from all over the world will call me, people from India or Australia or what have you, and I'm here at Maui doing them. Uh, but I, we've never done one just for innovators in Hawaii, and that's I, that's it's exciting to me. You know, I live here, like Ruby said, half the time, mm-hmm. and I haven't really plugged in to the um, the technology, the entrepreneur community here. And this is a way for me, in some ways, to give back, and it's easy for me to do. Um, what we're asking people to do is go online and sign up if you want to be a case that we take on in the office hours. So you just go sign up. You tell me what you want to talk about. And then I'll take each case and we'll give each company or each team about 15 minutes. And I know how to help guide the discussion in those 15 minutes and find out what you're trying to do, help you focus and articulate what behavior is, and then prioritize those those behaviors so you can solve for them. Uh, I've done over 3,000 of these kinds of calls, all of them just for free, just to, you know, put good into the world and now it's the opportunity so people can go sign up or they can just um, join Zoom and listen either way. So when, you, when you're when you on Maui do you have uh, any of these sort of workshops uh, live in person like people can come and attend the workshop or is you like you prefer to just kind of do it, do, do <laughs> well, it online? Two weeks, 
uh, a group from Japan is coming oh, okay. to work with me here because just because. But no, we haven't yet, you know, offered one for innovators in Hawaii. You will do that in the future, and then this could be a step toward that. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's all kinds of activities going on over here, whether it's, uh, you know, startups and entrepreneurs and various kinds of workshops. So we'd love to get you plugged in. So can you uh, real quickly, like, um, where can people go to actually sign up? I know there's a URL, and I'll, you know, be happy to put that up on our show notes later on tonight. But where can people go to find out more about this uh, office hour? and, And like with most things that I do, we've made it easier to do. So it's a bit.ly link, mm-hmm. and so it's bit.ly slash Hawaii Sessions. So B-I-T dot L-Y slash Hawaii Sessions, all lowercase. And there's a place where you can go and say, you know, who you are, what you're working on. And then we'll be back in touch, and we'll schedule you in. If you just want to show up and listen, I think you can go to the forum and say, hey, I, I don't want to have my case be in office hours, but I want to come listen. And then we'll send you the Zoom link so you can come and just listen in. Okay, no, that sounds great. So, again, it's uh, the actual event. The office hours are going to be on January 11th, right? And that's going to yes. be yep. a Friday. At Friday at 2 p.m. 2 p.m. Hawaii mm-hmm. Standard Time. Yes. I'll put the show notes up uh, later on this evening. And I want to thank you both, uh, Ruby and BJ, for joining us today. Thank you, Bert. Thanks, Aloha, Bert. BJ. Talk to you on January 11th. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Ruby. <laughs> Okay, and we'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Jennifer Winter, who's here to tell us about the upcoming PTC conference. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Shamanad University, Inter-Island Solar Supply, and Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. Well, I wake up listening to Morning Edition every day, and if I'm lucky, I get to listen to more than, you know, 45 minutes before I have to head out to work. Uh, But sometimes I have really long drives in the morning up to the North Shore, and uh, it's nice to kind of be comforted by uh, today's news and some familiar voices. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. Now joining us is Jennifer Sunrise Winter, and she's the associate professor over at the University of Hawaii School of Communications and is also on the sort of planning committee for uh, the Pacific Telecommunications Council's uh, conference coming up. Welcome to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank you, Bert. Very happy to be here. And I'm, you know, I'm... um, I'm glad to have you on. I mean, you know, we've uh, collaborated on a number of different things, uh, you know, our various sort of hackathons and collaborations, Mm -hmm. and it's always good to have you back and talking about uh, some interesting things going on. Now, I have been following PTC for a while. It's probably one of the premier telecommunications conferences. Mm -hmm. I I tell this story to everybody, and I've probably told all my listeners this as well, but I went to a, a conference in Chicago called ITW, it's like International Telecom Week, and they have their big conference. And I asked them, hey, so what conferences do you usually go to? I mean, besides ITW. And they said, oh, we go to PTC. I said, wow, that's great. That's right in our backyard. And I also asked, well, which one do you like better? And for the most part, they all said PTC. Of course. So, okay, now this is one of the best-kept secrets in Hawaii because PTC, I mean, they attract – 
all kinds of experts in the field of telecom as well as Internet to Hawaii, and it takes place every January. I shouldn't be saying this. You should, you should tell me about this. Yeah, I'd love to. So um, the Pacific Telecommunications Council um, hosts an annual conference called the Pacific Telecommunications Council Conference, known mm-hmm. as just mm-hmm. the conference. Right. And uh, I believe this is its 41st year. So it's been around for a very long time. And the goal is really to um, advance uh, ICT, particularly in the Pacific Rim, mm-hmm. but also uh, really throughout uh, other parts of the world as well. We have a lot of people that come also from Europe, from Latin America, and, and certainly from parts of Asia and many people from the Pacific Islands, uh, including uh, some from the U.S. mainland. So it's a great conference. Um, it's usually a few thousand people that are there formally attending the conference, as well as many other people who are engaged with the telecoms industry. And what you'll find there is typically sort of the cutting-edge things that all the major telco- tel- telcos are doing. Plus, you'll also find uh, emerging trends and events. You'll find also a smaller group of academic researchers like myself who are also very uh, engaged in PTC and uh, regulators from throughout the region as well. Mm-hmm. Now, y- you know, this it, it's interesting that the event that I went to in, in Chicago, uh, ITW, it was primarily a commercial uh, enterprise because uh, ITW is, is commercial and most of the participants were representatives from various companies, mm-hmm. all pr- you know, predominantly in the uh, telecom and, and internet space. But the the PTC is is different because PTC is actually a nonprofit. Yes, and as a nonprofit, I mean their focus kind of is more education. And I want to, you know, Jennifer, tell me more about how you you are involved from a from an academic standpoint. Well, as I noted, I've been attending PTC off and on since '97, and more recently in the last decade or so, I've gone pretty much every year. Um, over time, I became very much more involved, and now I'm the vice chair of the research committee, mm-hmm. which is a subcommittee of PTC, which really focuses on, as you can imagine, the academic side of things. Uh, there's usually uh, a good number of academics that do come, and there's some academic panels, as well as, as you mentioned, uh, a lot more of the industry-type stuff. And so what's great about PTC, from my perspective as a scholar, is I'm meeting with the various uh, government people, regulators, as well as meeting with uh, people from the industry. And I think bringing those three groups together is what really gives PTC its strength. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, and you bring up a good point because, you know, from an academic standpoint, I mean, you're looking at the sort of empirical study of some of the mm-hmm. things that are going on in this telecom arena. If you go to a purely commercial conference, then there is, I would say, and I'm doing the air quotes, sort of the the hype around some sure. of the new technologies that might be, you know, coming coming uh, uh, in the not too distant future. And and of course, uh, you know, what we're hearing a lot about things like 5G. And if you talk to any of the the vendors, whether it's the Verizon's or AT&T's or T-Mobile's or Sprint's, I mean, that is the the next saving <laughs> saving grace <laughs> for for uh, yes. communications, networking, and applications that will be uh, accessible, you know, via the smartphone or, or for uh, enabling uh, Internet of Things. Now, but from an academic standpoint, you're looking at it from a very different lens. Yes, I am. So my own research really deals largely with uh, communication technology policy ethics. Mm-hmm. And in particular, I look at emerging technologies, things like Internet of Things, uh, artificial intelligence, uh, big data, and so forth. And I really try to personally, um, and this again is speaking uh, as a scholar, I really Mm -hmm. try to look at ways where all of these developments can lead uh, towards broader social goods. Um, And so uh, almost all the projects I work on relate to that. Mm -hmm. In terms of 5G, there's a whole lot of areas where it will intersect um, with my research. 
And among those would be things uh, simply like the way that it would enable um, the so-called Internet of Things, which is, as you uh, may know, uh, the myriad devices, potentially billions or even some people will now say hundreds of billions or even trillions of devices that are eventually going to be uh, networked and connected, communicating a lot of it through machine-to-machine communication. So all of this is requiring a huge amount of always uh, present uh, uh, bandwidth. Mm-hmm. Um, things like your smart uh, smart homes, uh, driverless cars, all of these are said to rely on that, as well as many types of entertainment things. Uh, of course, we've got um, just better real-time video uh, streaming content, and of course, uh, things like virtual reality, which still hold a lot of promise. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, the thing that the uh, the Internet of Things is is providing to the network is is data, and we're already, you know, seeing things like terms batted around there about big data and artificial intelligence and yeah. things like machine learning. And now, with all these big data sets, and you bring up the the, the term ethics. I mean. Mm-hmm. You know, with with um, the algorithms that are now taking this data and perhaps creating some, let's say, decision uh, um, tree or mechanism to better understand the data, your research is, is really kind of into what are some of the, the, the ethical implications of all that data and how do we build that into any of the algorithms? That's a great question. It's one that I don't think we're able to answer right now. This is all happening very, very fast. There's a growing number of journalists, scholars, and even uh, the uh, companies themselves, uh, companies like Google, Mm -hmm. who are basically saying we need to have a deeper look at these types of technologies. And so one major thing uh, that my research focuses on, again, is how we can maybe probe beneath the surface uh, to look for alternative values uh, that represent a larger group of uh, individuals um, beyond just the corporate. The corporations are important, and I'm not diminishing them, but we also want to engage more and more stakeholders in understanding and, and eventually governing through various mechanisms. How does, uh, how does the governance, uh, you know, be better evaluated? I mean, there's mm, yeah. the the idea of, of transparency yes. in the algorithms, and how does... Does that take place at the academic level, or, or how do the, how does the public know there's yeah. you know this built into any of the algorithms? That's a great question. And just to give a couple of examples, there's a number of things that have come up in recent years that have indicated, for example, that if you're using a Mac, going to certain websites, you're going to pay more. Mm-hmm. In the U.S., there's no regulation that forbids that. So that was just one example. Other cases that have come out that are quite disturbing look at racial disparities, um, things that we actually have civil rights laws to protect against. And yet the algorithms, not necessarily intentionally, are basically exacerbating existing social and economic biases. Mm -hmm. And so there's been a number of cases where these have been revealed. Uh, In particular, Julia Anglin's work with ProPublica was great if you're interested in this. Um, And there's many, many more uh, examples emerging. But when you talk about transparency, when we talk about these algorithms, we really have an issue in that they're, by definition, uh, for the most part, opaque in Mm -hmm. in that we cannot see them. Sometimes this is intentional. Other times this is just because now with things like machine learning, um, advanced AI, we're really seeing things that are moving at a rate that humans don't necessarily understand or that you couldn't really bring to a courtroom and say, you know, here's what happened. Here's here's how we might uh, address this. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these things are um, are happening in a way that 
we kind of have the sense they're happening or we worry about them, but we don't know. So many scholars are actually doing things uh, called algorithmic audits, Mm -hmm. which are trying to reveal them. There's an effort to try and embed in algorithms from the ground up some kind of audit trails. Um, Some of this is involving things like blockchain or other um, other other means. And uh, we don't really have a handle on it yet, though. Mm-hmm. I think what we're seeing now is a sort of uh, growing concern that's actually reaching uh, everyday citizens through the media and uh, investigative journalists who are basically um, identifying these types of problems and saying, what are we going to do about them? So, you know, this work that you're doing, uh, it's it's really important work. And I'm, I'm kind of curious whether uh, it actually gets talked about or presented at the conference like like PTC. Now, before you answer that question, I want to hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with uh, Jennifer Sunrise Winter. And we're talking about key topics in big data, AI, and ethics. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting and Sacred Hearts Academy. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And if you're just joining us, uh, we're talking to Jennifer Sunrise Winter. She's an associate professor over at the University of Hawaii. We're talking about the key topics to consider in the evolving world of AI, 5G, and big data. Oh, of course, in the context of the upcoming uh, PTC conference. Right before the break, I was thinking, you know, Jennifer, I mean, the work that you're doing is, is really important. And, and uh, from a research standpoint, I think uh, it, it um, really bears a lot of uh, study. Now, in terms of a conference like a, like a PTC, mm-hmm. do you have an opportunity to share any of this or discuss any of this or present any of the findings? Yeah, some of the scholars um, will. There's a number of people that are very interested in ethics. There's actually a subgroup now of the research committee that's focusing on this type of information ethics. So yes, the answer is yes. And I think, as I, as I noted, there are a lot of the other people that are there are concerned about this. Um, it may not be the, their number one concern, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but generally I found um, some very invigorating discussions uh, with um, people working for corporations, for example, or government officials who are trying to also grapple with how do we how do we handle this. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I, I do want to ask you, and and uh, you know from a research standpoint, and from versus they say a commercial standpoint is the idea of 5G and the 5G rollout. Mm-hmm. I mean if you if you speak to a lot of the you know the big telecom providers I mean they're talking about 5G really becoming uh deployed, you know, 2019, 2020. Give me your sort of reality check of of 5G. <laughs> okay, so let me first say I'm I'm not um I'm, enthousi- I'm very enthusiastic about it mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but I'm also very guarded in a lot of ways. And I think the main thing for consumers to think about is the fact that um, this is going to require a huge rollout of additional infrastructure. Right. And we're talking about It's going to be expensive. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be very, very expensive. And it may not be everywhere. So we may not see the kinds of things that I yearn for as a scholar, you know, the, the bridging of the digital divide, for mm-hmm. example. We may not see that. We may not see areas that are still grossly underserved. We may also see... Um, a problem I think that people haven't thought about is the fact that it really is going to require completely new handsets mm-hmm. and that they may – it's going to be the first generation of them and there may be a lot of glitches. So the good news is I think that, that it's definitely going to happen. We have a consistent standard developed. The industry is behind it. But I think that, um, as you mentioned earlier, there's going to be a lot of hype that comes along with it. Um, five years from now, 
we're going to see very different networks. I don't know how long it's going to take, for example, here in Honolulu, for those of us living near the city center to have something that we are really going to be excited about and want to upgrade to. Yeah, and if you think about mm-hmm. the, you know, the the uh, the cycle of, of new hardware, especially when it comes to phones and the ability for, let's say, new chips to be incorporated. Yeah. Uh, you know, Qualcomm was here maybe about a month ago, and they were... Uh, talking about the release of their new Snapdragon 855, mm-hmm. which is the sort of 5G chip that will be going into some of the smartphones, whether it's Samsung or, or, or whatever. But the the cycle between the chip going into a smartphone and it actually becoming available is still a couple of years out. I mean, I wouldn't imagine that new models of any, uh, let's say, smart uh, Samsung smartphone is going to have any... Uh, Snapdragon five eight fifty five in it, especially if there is no network to <laughs> to jump on. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to sound too pessimistic. I actually think things are going to roll along. I just I don't have enough information to say for sure mm-hmm. what will actually happen. But I would say that um, all the signs point to the fact that this will t- take some time. Um, but that there could be some very real benefits to it that, if if done carefully, could be very ad- advantageous for large numbers of people. Do you think uh, obviously in the urban centers mm-hmm. there will be a rollout that's that's probably faster uh, as opposed to some of the rural areas? I mean, what what would you characterize maybe the rollout in, in neighbor islands or or maybe less populated areas? It's really hard to tell because I've actually seen some academic work talking about um, other states in rural areas that looks like it could be quite promising, but it's still going to require a lot of investment mm-hmm. to get those small cells up in those areas. And if they're not already, if there's not already an existing infrastructure or an economic incentive to do so, then I'm not sure what would be different. On the other hand, um, there's a lot of potential there. Um, I know a lot of communities are trying to look at how they can themselves um, attract um, these types of investments. Um, so the answer is it really, really depends, mm-hmm. and I don't have a, a really solid answer for you there. Just to say that I I don't necessarily go along with the idea that magically we're all going to have five G in areas where we don't already have um, outstanding broadband. And then when you you know when you speak of the investment, I mean the reason why it's called small cell is because between the cells, mm-hmm. I mean it's only probably about three two you know two to three hundred feet exactly. So they have to be very close to each other. So there's yeah. a lot more equipment out there. Exactly. And so um, I was pleased that earlier this year, Governor Ige signed uh, the bill that's going to help allow us us to have uh, more um, development to add these kind of small cells onto the existing uh, poles and things. Um, but again, that's not necessarily going to be um, throughout the islands. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. So what, are, what else do you say would be uh, important trends to, to take note of at the PTC? Oh, well, I think, you know, a lot of people have talked for years about big data, the cloud and all that. I think really looking more at the ways that these things have all converged into a kind of a single ecosystem mm-hmm. that really does, in my opinion, revolve around data. And just seeing all of the the new develop the actual new implementations um, of, of how people are accomplishing that. Uh, one other thing I really like about PTC, as I mentioned earlier, is that you get to really meet with um, some of the biggest names in the telecom industry who are actually guiding the research and development for these things or the strategic plans for them. So when you go to their talks or even just meet them at the conference, you often are going to get all sorts of very exciting insights about about what's next. Oh yeah, yeah. In fact, I'm I'm looking forward to. Do you know Do you know the dates? Can you share what the dates I are? I can share the dates. So they're coming up next month, 
And the dates are January 20th to 23rd. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be down at the Hilton Hawaiian Village. And uh, I encourage anyone who's interested to please check it out. You can look at ptc.org very easily to uh, learn more. Great. So Jennifer Sunrise Winter, she's an associate professor over at the UH School of Com- Communications and is on the planning committee for the upcoming PTC conference. I want to thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you very much. And of course, I want to thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we'll talk about blue startups and the East Meets West conference. If you miss any part of this edition, you can find a podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. If you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email me at bitemarks at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. Our engineer is David Chong. You can catch us on HPR1 every Wednesday or anytime via the HPR app, iTunes, and Stitcher. You stay awesome. Happy New Year, and we'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. This year we're here recording.